Hello friends and welcome back to 41,000 Feet and Thriving. The goal of my podcast is to bring flight attendants together as a community to talk about important and everyday fun topics on the road that we can all relate to, the lighthearted and sometimes the not so lighthearted. Today we're going to talk about the not so lighthearted. Today I have the great privilege and I do hope that I give it a fraction of the justice that I hope everyone in this club, a club that no one wants to be a part of, deserves. Today I want to honor April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month. It's been my goal for several months to launch the podcast before April so that I could highlight an episode to this month. One episode and one conversation is not enough, but it is a start. I would like to say that if you've been through sexual assault, are going through it, or have a connection to it, this could be a hard listen for you today and you do not have to listen. However, also please know, we don't talk about our actual events. We want to focus here on our experiences thereafter, our healing, and what comes after the event. Because that is the important part of our story, is to take our narrative and our control back and to not give the light to the person that tried to take that from us. So thank you for joining me today. And thank you for my guest, Kelly Johnson, who is absolutely incredible in raw and sharing her story. And I'm so thankful that she was willing to come on and help help me navigate this conversation so that we could just be here and have an open conversation with our community. Thank you for joining us and just know wherever you are in your journey that we stand with you and you have a community behind you. Welcome, Kelly. I'm so excited to have you here just to talk about this really important topic. And I know that you and I started to bond over it because Kelly is actually my massage therapist and she helped me through many (laughs) times this last year, but she's been with me for, I think, almost three years coming up on it. And she's incredible. And she's so much more than a massage therapist. She listens to her clients. She helps them heal from trauma. She helps them really, whether it be physical, but then she also like during your massage really listens to you and lets you do whatever you need in that moment. I'm pretty sure I have cried on her table multiple times. Um, and that is just the space that she creates, which is completely safe. And that is her personality is she's a safe zone for you to come into. She is warm and welcoming and absolutely knowledgeable in so many ways. Um, so hi and welcome, Kelly. Hey, Virginia. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Um, I'm so excited to be here and excited to just be talking about such an important topic with you. Yes, I'm so happy that you were willing to. This came into fruition just two weeks ago. Um, I had been telling Kelly how important this episode was to me and that I hadn't quite figured out how to to put it into words yet. And I needed help. And I was looking for someone to help put this podcast into words that could do it a little bit more eloquently than I could and maybe assist me in that. Um, And she was 
I was on the table with her and we were talking about how important this was. And we've talked about it multiple times because it is part of my history as well as Kelly's. And she was kind enough to share hers with me and me vice versa. And she just kind of offered it up and was like, well, if you don't find anyone, I I would be willing to come on and talk. And immediately I knew that it was the perfect and right person to come on and help me talk about this really powerful topic. So thank you for being willing to come. Absolutely. Yeah. So I will just start by introducing myself a little bit. I am Kelly and I am the owner and founder of Flow State. And Flow State is my therapy practice in Gig Harbor, Washington. And we also offer somatic breathwork at our location as well. So somatic breathwork is our modality that is very helpful in trauma healing. And the massage side of our practice is for all people truly, but all of our massage therapists are also trauma-informed massage therapists. And Kelly, can you expand on what trauma-informed means as a massage therapist, please? Yeah, as a massage therapist, trauma-informed really means identifying and listening to the visceral ways somebody might respond in their body when they are triggered and being able to work with that, not push through it or push past somebody's boundaries. So the best way I can provide an example of this theme and what that would look like for someone who's unfamiliar with massage therapy is the very first time I was ever on a massage table. I was in a car accident. I was with somebody that I knew and trusted as my massage therapist. And while she was massaging me and working on me, I was having these random, completely unrelated trauma flashbacks to trauma that had happened in my early childhood, in my late teens. Um, And that phenomenon totally freaked me out at the time. I didn't understand then that we hold emotions and memories and trauma in our bodies. So as a massage therapist, we are not mental health counselors. We are not necessarily there to guide you through your trauma. But being trauma-informed just means being aware of the way the body, the way the soma, which soma is the root word for somatic, meaning of the body relating to the mind. So the just the way that we store emotions and traumas in the body and not adding to that. So if I was working on somebody and I'm getting near their shoulder and I'm working on their neck and I feel them tighten up, tense up, and they start holding their breath, That's a visceral indication that I need to move on. I need to check in with them, make sure that they are okay, um, and encourage them to take a few deep breaths. We were just talking about that when two weeks ago when I was on your table, how a mutual friend of ours who is my facialist, um, I found out about a new trauma in myself that I had no idea about, which was she covered my, not, she covered my eyes and my mouth. And I started to panic and I did, I was trying to like work through it and I'm, you know, sitting there and I'm like fidgeting and I'm trying to take deep breaths only through your nostrils, which are the only thing that are peeking through in this very heavy mask that's now on your face. And 
I was not doing okay. I was sweating. I got nauseous immediately. And in that moment, I learned that I'm a little claustrophobic. Um, It's a, (laughs) you know, sometimes and you really don't know until these like points are hit. Like, and you just go, oh, I have an issue that I need to work on. (laughs) And you don't know until it happens. And so thankfully, I know, you know, our mutual friend is trauma informed and she she was able to, from what you told me, see the signs that you weren't doing well. And she took the mask off early for you. And so to that point, I think it's really important that anyone who works with their hands on other people, you know, does take the steps to become trauma informed so that they can read into a situation like that and understand that in that moment, you viscerally were not okay. You had left your body and the danger signals were turned on at that point. Yes, exactly. And anyway, sorry. So I think it's fascinating that I think it's so amazing that you guys are trauma informed just because I have been in a situation with a massage therapist that wasn't you that was not since my incidents and it is not a comfortable situation and definitely not relaxing not that that's at the fore focus always when this is going on but yeah yeah no I do think it's really important and I hope you know for any massage therapist that might happen to hear this episode that it might encourage them to think about becoming trauma-informed and how that can build safety for their clients. Absolutely. Um, So Kelly, you're, sorry. So as a massage therapist and you have this trauma, you know, information, where did that stem from? Where did your, your interest start with this? Yeah, my interest really started back at that first initial massage session that I ever had. So I'll back up just a little bit here. And um, my journey towards getting into the massage therapy field started after a major car accident I was in in high school. Um, I had been on the path to go to Western Washington and go to school for business. So I always knew that I wanted to be a business owner, but massage therapy was never in my vision or even peripheral And after that first uh, major motor vehicle accident, I was actually working as a receptionist at a chiropractic and massage clinic. So when that accident happened, they said, oh, we'll get you in for treatment. We'll take care of you. And I had had this preconceived notion that massage was really only something very wealthy people did like on vacation, on holiday, that it was like this extensive luxury that wasn't for everyday people. And yeah, so I began receiving massage treatment after that first car accident. And that's when I had mentioned I had the trauma flashbacks and was very curious about that connection. At the time, I just, yeah, exactly. I was very curious about why that would happen, you know, with someone that I felt safe with. And on a massage table where I was receiving help to feel better, like everything was positive, everything was safe. So it didn't really make sense to me at the time. Um, So I started receiving regular massage sessions every week and I had severe whiplash and severe upper neck and back injuries from that accident, um, as well as a pretty bad concussion 
And I started to feel a lot better within a few months of regular massage therapy treatment. And I just was absolutely amazed by the modality and what it could do to help heal the body um, and just how much better like my mental health had become throughout that time. So that was where the curiosity originated from. And over the course of the next four years that followed, I was in four more major motor vehicle accidents that continued. Yeah, I know. It was it was a lot. And yeah, that's insane. Um, none of them were my fault. Not that that really matters, <laughs> but I'm not just like a crazy driver. It's, it's worth saying. <laughs> and so I continued to be sent back to the massage treatment realm, continued to experience the healing power of this beautiful modality. And in that time, I actually had decided not to go to Western Washington for business because I was battling major concussion where I couldn't remember how to do calculus. I couldn't remember American Sign Language. There were so many like topics that had fallen out of my head at that time. And there was just a lot of fear there for me around, what if I go to college and I can't pass these classes um, and then I'm going to owe this scholarship back? So I decided to put college on hold And in this five-year time period where I was um, just working job to job, kind of working to live type environment, um, I just continued to grow my curiosity around massage therapy's potential career option. And I still remember after the fifth car accident, um, I, (laughs) I had been in the backseat of our work van and we were driving for a work trip and I had been sitting on that car ride thinking I just need to figure out what it is that I want to do with the rest of my life, how I'm going to make an impact. And I had been thinking about massage therapy and I remember thinking I just need a sign, like I just need a sign that this is a thing for me. And at that exact moment, we were sideswiped on the freeway and pushed into a semi-truck. Oh, my gosh. Miraculously, we did not flip. Nobody was ejected out of the vehicle. I mean, it was like the best of a worst case scenario. And I still remember being in the back of the ambulance telling the paramedic, like, this is a sign for me. Like, I'm going to go to massage school and I have this new career ahead of me. Just like in that moment, I knew. Oh, yeah, completely. I was sold. And he was like, you know, I think that you have a brain injury and we need to get you to the hospital and you're probably not in a state of mind to be making major decisions like this. And so anyways, here I am all these years later. Um, So that's how I got into the massage profession as a whole. Um, And then how I got into more niche down into trauma healing and trauma-informed care within massage therapy really was just very serendipitous timing. Um, As we all entered into the pandemic, um, I was already working full-time in my massage therapy business. And my industry was shut down for about two weeks, and we reopened after those initial two weeks. So 
all throughout the pandemic, I was traveling across Washington State and providing in-home mobile massage therapy services. Wow. And people were struggling so bad. And probably for the first time in their life, having enough time to sit with themselves and to be with themselves long enough for these deeper traumas that had been so stuffed down and so buried to begin to surface. And I just started to observe this connection between what people were going through with their trauma. And it's important to define that trauma is not what happens to us. It is what happens inside of us as a result of what has happened to us. Yeah. So when you take something like the pandemic, everybody was having a different internal experience during that time, even though it was the same set of circumstances happening to people across the globe. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I just really started to build this bridge and see this connection between people's physical pain, the pain that they hold on to in their bodies. Yeah. And the way that their trauma was impacting them. So, and at the same time, I was going through my own trauma healing and my own recovery. And it wasn't just your physical trauma. It was your emotional trauma as well, correct? From even before the accidents. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking about trauma as a whole right now, but here we'll slide into here soon is what we're here to talk about, which is sexual assault trauma as a whole a niche that you got into as well. But I think it is important to say like you were recovering from more than just your physical trauma of five accidents. Oh yeah. The five accidents were like the minor stuff, to be honest. That wasn't even, that was very on the surface for me. Um, But yeah, I mean, I have, um, well, what they had said when I was diagnosed was that I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. But I like to say it's not a disorder. It's a completely normal response that any human would have for going through yeah. that amount of trauma. So, yeah, it was very much. So, yeah. I really respect and agree with that. Like, I would be like, well, you try to go through this and see how you come out on the other side, sir. <laughs> Ma'am. Exactly. And I think that the mental health world is looking at changing some of that verbiage around that now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it wasn't just the physical trauma. It was very much so the mental trauma, the emotional trauma. And um, during the pandemic, I think we were seeing a lot of people begin to work through their own deeper inner childhood unhealed traumas. Because for the first time, they had the time to kind of be with themselves with it. Yeah. Well, and when you're sitting by yourself, your brain goes to places that you don't always want to go, which is why we distract ourselves with TV and music and phones and people and going out and doing stuff. But then when you're forced to sit there and go through things, it's not always fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, disassociation is a tool. We're not bad at it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> The mindless scrolling and the disassociation. Yeah, it's We're absolutely all guilty a way it. to like numb it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it, I mean, and that goes back to also why you were triggered during your massages was because of this other trauma that you were going through that you didn't really 
think that you needed to work through, correct? Or that maybe that you were already over it or... Yeah, I think I was still in a state of denial because I was just so young um, when a lot of my trauma happened that it was, you know, then you're in middle school and you're focused on your social relationships and then you're in high school. And for me, I started working when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. Yeah. So then it was straight into working and preparing for college. And there was never the time, resources or education to deal with yeah. you know those earlier traumas yeah and so for you was it also for you during the pandemic where you started to like internally look at that stuff I had been looking at it for years so I would say since about the time I was 21 22 I had really been actively working to heal some of those deeper traumas um, but it wasn't until I got into a safe healthy supportive relationship which happened about eight months before the start of the pandemic, um, that I was able to have a big enough mirror to really reflect back to me what parts, what programs within my own subconscious mind were still affected and ruled by that trauma. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. So it took you being in a safe relationship for you to really be able to like work on yourself and see those within yourself on that deeper level absolutely yeah um i don't think that it's a requirement for healing i think that any safe therapeutic relationship such as the one that you have with your therapist or you know even the one you absolutely you know could serve as that catalyst as well yeah absolutely and while we're here what were some of because you were saying you were in denial for a long time, and that's probably why you didn't realize you needed to work on these things. What would you say? And I can also give you my examples of what were your first few things that like came out of your your thought process, I guess, in those first few like, oh, this is what I need to heal from. Because I know for me in the aftermath of it, it was denial first. So I completely agree with that you go through this denial or I think for some people where it's really fresh, whereas not childhood like it was for you. But for me, when it was really fresh, there's this like bartering that you do with yourself of like justifying it or giving it a reason and like being able to explain it in your head is like, oh, it's just a one time thing or, oh, well, it only happens when there's drinks involved or, oh, it's not their true character. Like, you try to like justify it in your mind. And that's definitely where my first few thoughts were, was how to justify it to where I didn't have to make it this big deal because I didn't want to have to unfold it and for it to be this big trauma in my life, even though it obviously already was. Yeah, yeah, I know that that part is so hard. And it was really hard for me, too, because a lot of the sexual assaults that I experienced were in early adulthood, like 18 to 22, which is, I think, the case for a lot of people in those kind of college age years, which can often be the easiest time to be in denial because there were times where it was like my friend, it was my roommate. It was, you know, people who I trusted and people who I didn't want it to be true that they could have done that. So the easiest thing for me to do was to pretend like it didn't happen. 
and to try to stuff it down. Um, And oh boy, did I try. I tried to stuff it down and just move on. And it just doesn't work. You know, what we suppress and what we repress can cause us to become very depressed. And that's a quote my mentor always says that I love. Um, I do love that. And that's exactly what happened to me, you know. So I think it's very normal to be very much so in denial um, after the initial stages of sexual assault. Yeah. And I do want to say, too, um, that, you know, you were saying that it was like a close friend or some someone that you trusted. And I'm not going to remember the statistic at the moment, but it is a high percentage of sexual assaults that happen by a friend or someone that you know. And I, I really wish I could remember the statistic at the moment. I'll try to link it later. But um, it really is. It's a very high percentage. And mo- a lot of sexual assaults are by someone you know that you trust, that you think of as a friend. Yeah. And then a lot of another thing that happens is a lot of victims try to blame themselves and say, you know, well, maybe I just drank too much or maybe I was being flirtatious. Um, And we almost try to blame ourselves because if there's any way it could have been at least partially our fault, the fallout wouldn't be as hard to deal with of the fact that 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 really happened to us. And then if you go into, you know, in my case, it was the workforce place, like it was your your place of work. And so I think for a lot of people that it happens to in the place of work, you then go into, well, I could lose my job. I'm going to be mistreated after this. Like what's going to happen to them? Are they going to lose their job? Do I want to be the cause of someone? Like, again, you try to like, for me, at least, I almost started to feel bad for this person that harmed me repeatedly. Um, and I almost was like more concerned about their well-being than mine. And I was like, why? Because as we were saying, it was by someone I trusted as well. And then it was in the workplace as well. And so it was just like all of this stuff where you think about all of these fallouts and you're like, oh, it's not worth bringing up. Like all of this stuff and all of this work and all of this like jeopardizes everything I've worked for. Yeah, it's really hard. I know for me, a big concern was, well, where am I going to live? And am I going to have any friends, you know? And yeah, um, well, the truth is, is that I didn't end up keeping those friends because they weren't real friends. Right. You know, but those are the things that you're concerned about when you're, for me, you know, at the age of 18, 19 years old, those are huge concerns. And I completely understand why at any age and under any circumstances, it can be very hard to even acknowledge what has happened. Well, and I think too, like just remember as well for most people, and maybe not in your case, Kelly, maybe you can speak to that. But I know for me, I had a bunch of small events that led up to a very large one that led to this big bigger trauma that then led to me realizing that the trauma had actually been happening for two years um and um for me after this what i'm going to call is the biggest trauma where it triggered the sexual assault uh awareness for me which 
if that makes sense, like where I really realized that it was sexual assault that was happening. Yes. And then I realized yeah. that all of these small things that had been happening were sexual assault. But for the big one clearly crossed the line yes. for you. And it identified that all those little ones have also crossed the line that you had been trying to justify and make excuses for. But I think that what pe- people might not realize that in that moment where you're you know, thinking about these unimportant things of like, oh, well, you know, he might lose his job or, oh, but I don't want to lose my friends or whatever, is that you're probably sleep deprived. (laughs) You are in emotional distress and you are essentially running off of some weird version of adrenaline and you are not thinking correctly. You are exhausted. You're probably not eating. There's like all these different outside and physical factors. I think in like a week and a half after it happened, maybe two weeks after, I was in the middle of a trip. I don't think I slept for maybe more than like 10 hours in that collective two weeks. Like I was not thinking clearly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's your nervous system can either be in a state of fight or flight or in a state of shutdown, freeze, withdrawal, disassociate. Um, And I've definitely experienced both, you know, following a sexual assault and you're not thinking clearly and you're not in your regular mind or in a regulated state at all. No, not even a little bit. And I think then then you go into you think it'll be over. (laughs) For me, it was I ended a trip and I thought, okay, once the trip is over and I don't have to see him, it'll be it'll be done. And. And then I got home and I was like this shell of a person. I couldn't cook. I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I still couldn't sleep. Like I know my, my mom came over and she had to like cook meals for me. And my dad came over and made soup for me. And like, it was just this very, um, you know, and then, and then that's where the next steps come into play where again, I, I'm interested to see how yours went since it was years later. But for me, I went into like a depression that I didn't realize I was in for months after that. And I was constantly stressed. I was having panic attacks. I was having nightmares. I was, it was a lot to start unpacking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have, you know, probably not enough time on this podcast episode to get into, you know, all of the ways that it really impacted me and just exactly what my journey to getting to where I'm at now looked like but it was it was very difficult it was not easy at all and um it's something that uh I was at lunch the other day with these um women yeah who represent a support group for veterans who've been sexually assaulted And one of the women had said, and I know that I know what she meant by saying this, and I know that she meant well, but this verbiage always irks me. She said, "Um, I'm so grateful for what happened to me because I wouldn't be who I am today without it. And I paused very calmly and kindly and just said, are you grateful for it, though, or are you proud of yourself for the way you were able to alchemize your pain and the way that you've been able to heal from what you did not deserve, from what you should not have to be grateful for, but you were able to create so much purpose and so much help for other people that you can relate to through your healing. 
And that is so important to me because as survivors, we really do deserve the credit for the healing that we have done as well. And it's not something to say, well, I'm grateful for what happened to me. That's still giving your power away and somehow giving your power to this person who violated you. Like, well, I'm grateful for what happened to me. Like, no, I'm not grateful for that at all. Yeah. The only thing that I am grateful for is the ability to heal from that. And I'm grateful for neuroplasticity. I'm grateful that my brain isn't stuck in the state that it was in immediately following Mm. what had happened. But I I think that we're going to begin to hear that verbiage really change. I hope so. Around that from like, yeah, because I agree with you that if I heard someone in a if I went to a support group or if I went to a luncheon with I, and I was surrounded by people that had been through something just like me, even if you and I, Kelly, were like sitting and talking about it and you were like, God, I'm so grateful that I went through this so that I'm here now. I would be like, I would have taken that like, you know, what is it in Monopoly? Like I would have passed go without like yeah. stopping. Like, yeah. like I would have proudly and happily gone with my life without doing this because like before we started recording, I was telling you that I'm in a hotel in Anchorage this week. And this, and I'm saying this because it's not some, it's something that you're going to constantly deal with in your life. It's not something you should be grateful for because I've done a ton of work and I would say that I'm mid healing still because mine is still pretty recent. But like I was at this hotel and I swore across the room, I was walking to the lobby. I swore I saw this man that hurt me and I I swore it was him and I stopped in my tracks my panicked breath started my panic attack began and I had to really I mean someone literally ran into me so I had to like keep moving in a sec you know get moving I guess but I waited for him to turn around and I I realized it wasn't him but it was pretty damn close And I, it affected me for the next few days. I immediately went up to my room and I had to do, um, in, in my therapy, we did tapping to help with my panic attacks, the tapping method, which has helped me after practice. Um, but then I was still so, um, emotional the next few days and more sensitive to it, whether it be an accent, a smell, a fate, like facial hair from someone I saw on the street. It was fresh in my brain again to where that is where my brain went first when I saw or heard or smelt those things, whereas it had started to get less often and less common. But then you get like what I would call like a relapse almost. And and it, it sets you back a little bit, not as bad as it would have been a few months ago but a little bit. Your nervous system doesn't know the difference between that being someone who looked like the perpetrator and that being the perpetrator himself. So when you experience something like that, that is so triggering viscerally, you are going through a re-traumatization. And that is why it's so important to choose methods of therapy, like something like tapping, Um, Something like EMDR, something like somatic breath work, something that is more about viscerally healing from the trauma in a way that's regulating to your nervous system. Because just going to therapy, and for some people, this might be healing, but my experience was that 
to talk about the trauma that had happened in great detail with someone that I don't entirely have a reason to trust um, is can be very re-traumatizing to the nervous system because your brain and your body don't know the difference between I'm talking about something that happened 10 years ago. But if you begin to feel in your body some of the ways you felt while it was happening, it's essentially re-traumatizing you every time you talk about that and go down that circuit until or unless you are able to speak about it without getting that visceral overwhelming. Gosh, I hope that day happens because I am not there yet. And I would I I mean, I know we've talked about it, Kelly, like you call it something. It's um, what is it? The post-trauma glow is that post-traumatic growth yeah I like glow better personally yeah I like glow too I think we should coin that (laughs) but I remember you mentioned this to me again in a massage session because Kelly is much more than just a massage therapist we again we were on the massage table because that is where 90% of Kelly and I's interactions come from um and I was I think I was really emotional that day. It was after I had had this traumatic emotional and physical thing happen. And then on top of that, I also had a physical injury that was traumatic (laughs) that had happened recently as well. So I was seeing Kelly more and more often, which meant, and I was going through a very dark time with both of these things coinciding really close together. And I think I just was really emotional and you just opened the space for me to talk to you about it as someone that was safe, that was working on healing me physically. And then you really offered the space to help me emotionally as well. And again, not that you you are a professional in that, but you have been through similar things and you use the post, post-traumatic growth, not glow, but I'm going to call it glow. And that was your first, one of your first responses to me was like, and I mean, maybe you can speak on it more, but I remember you telling me like eventually not now and not anytime soon, but you'll get to this place. That's, it's nice. It's, it's, it's healing. (laughs) Yeah. I, I really try to spread that message as much as possible, just because when you are so in the thick of an assault or any trauma, you know, happening so recently, it's going to suck. It's going to be really hard. You might experience depression and an array of other emotions and limitations on your life throughout that time that can be very debilitating. And I wish someone would have told me when I was in the thick of it going, I just don't know how I'm ever going to get through this. I just don't know how I'm ever going to get to the other side of this. I wish someone would have told me about post-traumatic growth and the accelerated interpersonal development and um, your ability to connect with other people who have been through it. Um, My mentor always says to understand somebody fully is to have been there yourself so that you can stand under it and hold it up with Mm, them. I like that. And Yeah, I think that's really relevant, Um, especially when talking about sexual assault. It's not something I would normally feel comfortable 
talking to someone about who hasn't been through it because they really can't relate and they really can't understand. And I love that for them. That's so great. I'm really grateful they they can't understand. Um, but for me, I have always found comfort in opening up to people who can relate. And so that's just something that I wanted to share with you. I think that you could get a glimpse of like knowing that it won't always be as hard and as debilitating as it is in this moment. Um, and that healing does exist and it is possible. Absolutely. And I mean, it was so encouraging in a very odd way, because as you're saying, like, you're not grateful to have gone through this. And I wasn't grateful that you had gone through it to help me. But it, I was very thankful that there was someone in my close proximity that was able to tell me, like, it's going to be OK, because people kept, you know, the close people in my life that knew about this they kept telling me it was going to be okay. And I'm sorry, but it it meant shit to me because I was like, you, you haven't yeah. gone through this. You don't understand how this feels. Like it isn't just something that is fleeting and it goes away. It is something that I wake up thinking about. It is something that at least 20 times a day at the moment, if not more, I am reminded about that I am yeah you know to use one of your words that I'm viscerally feeling and having these flashbacks of and then I have trouble mm -hmm. going to sleep because it's still on my mind like that is not something that many people can understand unless they've been through something similar um and I know that I, I think that unfortunately it's more and more common for people to be going through it in the workplace, whether it be in our industry, at least as in, in aviation, whether it be a client or I think, you know, your coworkers, a pilot, um, or if it happens on the road at, on a layover, like whether that be with the crew on a layover or with a date or someone you met at a bar, like it's becoming more and more common. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it is a rampant issue worldwide. And we just by the statistics that we even know about admitted cases of sexual assault, we know that it is a rampant issue. Um, and yeah, I think it can be really hard to deal with when you're fresh in it and you just think like, am I always going to be different? Is there always going to be an imprint on me? that I feel not just in romantic, intimate relationships, but in every corner of my being and of my life, because it really does affect you so deeply. And I mean, to that point, I don't think we ever really come to a point where we are, you know, fully healed. I think that the time and space that we gain back sovereignty within our own body sovereignty within our own mind um just increases with time and tools absolutely i know for me the best way i can describe what it feels like to heal from you know sexual assault is to feel all of this sticky like black tar energy that those assaults left me with is to begin to feel that energy recede and go back to where it came from. And 
no longer affect me or make me feel like I have to own this sticky tar that has just been kind of sticking to me ever since it happened. Um, And I still, you know, I think it's important to say, too, that I still have moments where I'm triggered. I still have moments that are hard. I still have moments like you had in Anchorage where I think I see see the person who assaulted me. Um, But the difference is I have more tools to keep me in the moment now to know that like, okay, this is now and this isn't happening to me right now. And right now I am safe. And these are the resources I have to look around me, to see, to touch, to feel, to smell, to know I'm in this moment and that I'm safe right now. And I think that's a more accurate picture of of what healing looks like. Whereas in the beginning, when it's so fresh, those things really throw your sense of where you are at in time and space and in the world. And you feel like you're right back yeah. at the moment of it happening. Yeah. And so I guess my question is, and I think you kind of touched on it. Do you think you ever fully heal from sexual assault? That's a really difficult question because in so many ways, I feel very healed from it. Like it's not difficult for me to even talk about it anymore. I could go into pretty intimate details without feeling triggered about it. But it has been years for me of using somatic breath work as a modality to help me heal, somatic trauma therapy to help me heal. Um to help me to process that that is no longer my current present reality and to rewire my brain and my nervous system to not hold on to that. But I don't think that you ever fully heal. And I think that's what's so attractive about post-traumatic growth for me is it's like, you know what, if I'm never going to fully heal from this, I at least better be able to alchemize this into something really, really great. Like, again, not that I'm grateful that it happened, but through my own resilience Ooh, love that. and through your own resilience. Love that so much. Um, and our ability, yeah, to keep moving forward, to keep pushing forward, to keep getting the help that we need. It's almost like you learn how to develop a superpower that makes you a lot more tuned in and aware of your nervous system in every environment, even outside of speaking about sexual assault yeah. itself. I, I think it's I think of it when I when I think of that imagery, which I think you put so well, Kelly, like I really do love that, especially resilience. I think that is prime time wordage for this. But when when I picture it, if like I had to put a metaphor to it. I'm thinking of building my arsenal like, you know, it's like things that you pick up on your path and you put in your shed kind of thing. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it's, you know, this beautiful, beautiful like shield. And sometimes it's like a crummy old stick. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense, but this would definitely be the crummy old stick. But you never know when that can come in handy, I guess, um, or that, you know, you can still use it to your advantage and use that resilience. I don't know if that was the weirdest metaphor ever, but I'm on cold medicine. So, um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> it's a little fuzzy in here if you don't hear me sniffling. But I think that 
it really is just, I think of it as my arsenal is that these things that I've gone through, no matter if they were good or bad or healed or not healed, like I can fully say that I'm in the process of healing. I'm definitely not healed. Yeah. And no matter how healed I become, I am still going to have those moments like in Anchorage where, where, yeah, I'm going to have a step back for a minute, but now I have these things in my arsenal to help me deal with them. And, you know, and they, it keeps getting added to, you know, like tapping. I have, you know, I, I do like calming meditation, but not in the traditional, traditional sense. Like if I just have my hand over my chest, that helps me so much. Mm. Kind of like what you said, like bring you back to, you're right here, like in this moment, like feel your body, feel your heart. You are here, you know? Yeah. And then speaking with like embodiment, I think when you're healing from sexual assault, that's huge because you almost want to like abandon your body altogether um, after going through such a betrayal in that way. And for me, it just yoga was really huge like going to yoga practice and feeling just my breath and being with my body being in my body um and trying to rebuild a positive association with being present in my body was incredibly helpful you know in my healing journey as well yeah absolutely and i think it's it's so important to note that again, Kelly and I are here telling our experiences. We are not professionals telling you this is how to heal because also on a completely separate note, your journey is your journey. You might not ever see a therapist about it. You might only talk to like one friend about it, but that's your way of healing. Um, It's whatever your journey is that helps you become whole again. Absolutely. And although I do some work in my practice with helping people heal through various types of trauma, sexual trauma included, um, I have facilitated somatic breath work for women healing from major, major sexual traumas. Um, And they've experienced a ton of liberation, you know, from their trauma through this beautiful modality. But It's really important not to take, you know, what we're saying on this podcast as advice because we don't know where you're at with resourcing your safety. Um, So it's impossible to make recommendations without knowing where your baseline safety is at right now, Um, because that's the first step truly to healing any trauma is reestablishing like a baseline. Mm, I love that reestablishing a baseline. I think that's so important. And I also just want to say I have one statistic that I meant to plug in earlier when we were talking about sexual assault in the workplace is that um, nearly three in four, three out of four sexual harassment claims in the workplace go unreported. And I, I that is such a huge topic. And I'm not going to speak to what happened in my workplace um, just because it's still very fresh and I I don't think that will help anyone but all I can say is that to those that have reported you are strong those who haven't reported you are strong it it doesn't say any less or more either way I think it's just saying that that's a big number and it is I think in my experience it is because of those doubts and those fears that we don't report them 
I think it says a lot about how unsupported we are in our healing by these um, systems, whether that be your workplace or the literal legislature and government, you know, in charge of what it takes to actually prosecute a sexual assault case. Um, I think a long way to go in order to really be supporting victims in the fullest and getting them the help that they need because things like retaliation are still so huge. Um, And then even considering the possible collateral damage of going through prosecution on a case, if you don't have sufficient evidence, which to have sufficient evidence often just does not happen. It's not something we're able to pull out our cell phone when it's happening and document what is happening. Um, you know, so it's it's hard to say for each individual what the right thing is to do. I think everybody has to just do what the safest choice is for them. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, exactly what Kelly said. Kelly said it perfectly, which is just do what's right for you and no one is going to judge you. And also you haven't, again, I'm going to use my arsenal. You have an arsenal of people behind you that will stand with you. There are communities, there are groups, there there are people you can talk to that will 100% support you and help you. Yeah. Something that was really helpful for me, um, I always felt like I never wanted anyone to know what had happened to me because I felt really weird for what had happened to me. I felt like I didn't know any strong women who were in positions of leadership that were openly sharing about the fact that they had been raped or that they had been sexually harassed or that they had been abused as sexually abused as a child. Um, And so I never wanted to open up about, you know, what I had been through because I didn't see very many representations of strong, healthy, healed women, successful women, you know, people just in general, not even just women, people, because sexual assault can happen to anyone. Men, women, Um, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And yeah, it just having representations within my community of leaders I could turn to who were willing to open up about what they had been through gave me a lot of hope because I would see somebody successful who had built this incredible business and I would be like, okay, well, if she can do it, then that means that I'm not too broken, that I'm not too damaged, that I'm not, you know, just need to throw my life away. And, you know, it means that healing is possible for me too. So I think it's really important, you know, for people to share what they're comfortable, you know, to share. Absolutely. Um, Kelly, to to end here, is there any thing that you would like to tell people that have gone through sexual assault or sexual harassment? Because just a reminder, because I don't feel like we've said it, sexual harassment is a it is a I'm going to call it a gateway <laughs> to sexual assault. And that is yeah. still covered in sexual assault awareness month, I believe, um, because it is they're both forms of things that are unwarranted and unwanted and not welcomed and not consented to. Um, so um, do you have any advice for not maybe advice, but any 
words of wisdom or just hope to give people that are going through this or that have gone through it? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first thing that I would really like um, everyone to leave is that no matter what the circumstance is or was, it was not then and it's not now ever your fault um, for any reason. It doesn't matter if you went on the date. It doesn't matter if you had the drinks. It doesn't matter if you flirted. It doesn't matter what you wore. It just none of that matters. Literally none of it. Um, and I think that a lot of the victims I work with really have a way of doing mental gymnastics to somehow make themselves partially responsible for what happened. And you can't begin healing until you are in the truth and authenticity of what happened. And the truth of that is that it was not ever your fault. And you never deserved it. Um, you know, and then the other thing I would like to say is kind of a part two to that is that healing really is possible for every person. I have personally known and professionally worked with people who've been violently um, attacked and had something like this happen to them. I've worked with people who woke up and had no recollection of what happened. I've worked with people who liked the person but that person crossed a boundary that wasn't consented to um and i've worked with every situation in between and no matter what the details are or what the case looks like um it is not a burden and a pain that you have to live with and carry for the rest of your life and you know i hope that anyone listening to this who is not yet bound someone safe that they can talk to or somebody that they can trust to. And you always just want to say as much as you feel safe saying. So that might just be saying, I want to let you know that something bad happened to me and I'm not ready to say anything else about it yet. Um, You don't have to overshare, but it is good to confide in somebody that you can trust, whether that be a therapist whether that be a friend, a family member, um, once you kind of say it out loud to another person, it does make it more real and you can really kind of begin to heal from that. Yeah, absolutely. I, thank you so much for saying all of that. There are parts of that that got me definitely feeling. Um, Kelly, you're such a raw person and thank you so much for sharing your experience and your trauma and also how you're coming out of it on the other side and the journey that it's taken you to get there. It's so appreciated that you came on here to share it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here to talk about it. It's been a goal of mine for a long time to just um, be more of a beacon for knowledge, I guess, and for hope for people for multiple reasons, because There are people who are going to listen to this episode who don't resonate, but they're going to realize that we're real people, right? We're not just a statistic, but we're real people. So even if you don't resonate with this, it is still your problem because it is our society that it's happening in. If it's happening to our children, our sisters, our daughters, our brothers, right? Our 
our family, our people and our society than it is all of our problem, whether you think it affects you or not. Absolutely. Um, And speaking in just closing this out in an aviation sense, even though we have been talking in the broad spectrum, I do firmly believe that this is something that has been rising that I've seen in aviation and in the workplace. And I it was so important for me to start this podcast out this month because I wanted to speak to this. I could have spoken to it any month that this podcast was out, but this month was just so important for me to speak to sexual assault month because this is such an important topic and I don't feel like we have a place to talk about it. I don't feel like we've had a voice yet. And I just want people to know that there is a voice. Your voice is a voice. Like feel free to use it. It is strong and we're here to support you in any way we can as a community and you have people behind you. Yeah. And I would like to add that, you know, you're not the first person in in aviation in that field, you know, who I've met that's experienced something like this. And my call to action, you know, for any owners out there, any anybody who has power, you know, within a company is to take it seriously and to handle it with care. Um, because if you don't get in front of it, it's going to end up on a headline somewhere at some point in time, you know. So things, times are changing. It's no longer something that people can get away with. It's no longer something that can go undocumented, unsaid, and just dismissed. So maybe that works the first few hundred times, right? But when we get to a few hundred thousand times, it's going to end up a headline somewhere, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And just, um, I just want to end this as a thank you and just, yeah. Um, ugh. You're just the best. <laughs>